Welcome to Global Health and Childhood Cancer. I'm your host, Mark Zobeck. Today on the podcast, we will be speaking with Nuria Russell. Nuria has worked as a psychologist for the pediatric program of El Salvador for more than 15 years. In 2010, she obtained her master's degree in medical anthropology at the University of Amsterdam, where she recently finished her doctorate in the same discipline. She investigates treatment abandonment in childhood cancer through analyzing the interactions between the healthcare system and patients' families to explain the divergent perspectives of parents and the medical team regarding illness and treatment. She also evaluates the role of social problems, such as chronic poverty and life uncertainty, in the actions of the parents that affect treatment trajectories and outcomes. In her publications, she has analyzed how conditions of extreme poverty or parental feelings of distrust of medical treatment change the perspective of parents and influences whether patients abandon treatment or remain in care. Her work stresses the importance of the psychosocial team as a key factor in maintaining a healthy therapeutic alliance through the difficulties of care. Nuria has carried out various training and support activities for nurses in self-care issues and has introduced a permanent initiative to promote the improvement of the work environment for the nursing team. She is also the co-chair of the PSYOP PODC Treatment Abandonment Working Group, and she's the chair of the Working Group on Psychosocial Aspects within PODC as well. It is one of her primary interests to work for the strengthening of psychosocial teams in countries with limited economic resources. It should be a great conversation today, so without further ado, I bring you Nuria Russell. So, okay, I'm here today to talk with Nuria Russell about her experience with treatment abandonment in El Salvador, she brings a little bit of a different perspective because she is a psychologist and recently just got her PhD. So congrats to you, Nuria, for that. But yeah, we want to see what she has to say about the the patient perspective and kind of the team dynamics that go into trying to reduce treatment abandonment. So Nuria, you gave a talk also at the recent PSYOP abandonment session. And at first we heard from Paula, who we recently did an episode with and uh, Paula Friedrich, she described the magnitude of abandonment, the definition of it, some epidemiological data. And then we had Deepak Bansal from India, who was on and talked about their work in India, reducing abandonment by addressing socioeconomic concerns. But you bring a little bit of a different perspective to the table and to this issue. So why don't you go ahead and walk through kind of how you framed the problem of abandonment and how to approach it? Yes, I think that I have to say that my interest in seeing beyond the socioeconomic uh, problems that are related to abandonment was that precisely in El Salvador and some other places also in developing countries, but specifically my experience in El Salvador is that the treatment has been always free for the patients. The patients, no matter their economic, socioeconomic condition, they don't have to pay anything for the treatment, uh, the hospital, the medicines, the tests. So despite that it was always free, we still had abandonment. And despite that there were some extra help for very poor patients in terms of uh, that needed help for the bus transportation, for uh, being present at the hospital every week and all the other sacrifices that treatment demands for the family. Despite this, 
patients were still abandoning treatment. So for me, it was important to recognize that there was something else beyond the uh, limitations regarding money for the parents to continue treatment. And my perspective was like, we have to understand what's happening in the family or what's happening in the minds, in the situation of these parents and what makes them different from others that still being very poor, they continue coming to the treatment. There were a lot of questions that I had and then I, I find that there's a lot of things that we can say about that. But in general, when we face abandonment of treatment, we are facing a problematic situation that it's embedded in cultural and economic uh, circumstances, in family dynamics, and in personal perspectives and worldviews that are shaped by many sociocultural aspects. That's something that is very complex to see, at, at least, or to reduce in one for two reasons. There's always several things together that come into the result of abandonment of treatment. Gotcha. You're saying that you saw treatment that was being provided to cancer patients in El Salvador, then the treatment is uniformly free for everybody. Is that true? Yes, totally free for everybody. It doesn't matter. There's a question that is never present in the in the hospital when a child gets diagnosed with cancer is what are the, the income of the parents or if they have some type of insurance or if they have some type of uh, other economic means for the treatment. This is something that is not explored with the intention of having charge, charging the parents because this is not in the picture at all. The treatment is just automatically free for everybody. Great. So you had this comprehensive economic support in terms of treatment, paying for treatment, but you mentioned that you noticed that there are other costs associated with it, but then that there was a perspective that really we haven't explored or hasn't been well explored, which was the perspective of the families and how they experienced the treatment process. And so that's really where you've focused your work. Yes. I noticed that as part of the team working at the hospital, we all were confident that we were doing the best for the parents and they had uh, all the opportunities just because the treatment was for free. And we were thinking that all the worries of these families were only how they would pay for the chemotherapy. So if that was solved, then they didn't have any other problem. So uh, it was a very narrow or reductionist uh, perspective. But it's also uh, un it's something that I, I can understand when we are standing on the position of the healthcare providers. What was happening with the families is that one example that I can say on how not having to pay for the chemotherapy or, or the treatment in general was not enough is that even if they had to, they still had to pay maybe $3, $5, $10 a week for coming for the treatment. And maybe these families are just... Uh, having $25 a month as an income, for example. And this is not only a lot of money for them, $10 a week or $5 a week, but also there's other, there are others, there's other needs in the family. There's, there are other children, there are, there are other uh, things that they have to face. So this is, again, showing something that is related to money. 
But then you also have the problem that the families have to face circumstances, life circumstances that are very difficult. Some of them they have to to reach the hospital is not an easy road. Is they have to arrange a lot of things in the house. They have to trust a neighbor or a grandmother or an aunt for taking care of other children. There's a lot of conditions that just take a big toll on the um, the resources of the family not only material resources but also logistic emotional uh, and it, it it becomes a big burden for the family to complete the treatment and it's not easy at all to be in the hospital every week for some of these families and this is something that we were not having uh, enough perspective even though we knew they were poor we knew they were they, they were coming from very distant places we knew that uh, transportation is not comfortable roads are not comfortable all these conditions are again structural situ- conditions uh, related to poverty so poverty is much more than not having the money for paying the chemotherapy poverty entails a lot of uh, limitations in the opportunities that you have and in the comfort that you may have, and also in the way you see your own limits and your own boundaries to how much you can reach in terms of how much sacrifices you can make and how much you can sacrifice the whole family or only uh, not only yourself. So you mentioned that there were, let's call them indirect economic costs, indirect costs to the families that they had to pay. But then there's also things associated with the experience of going through treatment that caused a lot of problems for family that you can't really quantify in economic terms. And you mentioned the travel time, you mentioned the needing to access social support networks with uh, family members and such. And then the kind of the, just the feeling that you have to juggle all these things while not having a lot of resources, as you said, when the experience of poverty is that you just don't have a lot of uh, reserves to fall back on or a safety net to fall back on. So so I think that's a much more expanded view of abandonment than just saying we need to provide free care for people. And so you noticed this in El Salvador. And uh, what next steps did you take? Like, what did you do to try to dig at this problem a little bit more? Well, one of the things that I, I did is, well, I explored the stories of the families uh, of, of parents who had abandoned treatment. I talked to them. While they had uh, abandoned treatment, I, I, I talked to them at their, ho- at their houses when they, were, they had decided not to come back to the hospital. And also that I talked with many of those who, after abandoning treatment, had returned to the hospital and have con- uh, were continuing treatment after, probably after the child had relapsed uh, during abandonment. So. And uh, not only gave me the perspective of what you, uh, what I just uh, said regarding uh, other costs and other type of burden that the the families were going through, but also I could see how we used to have, sometimes you, you may be tempted to think that these families stop treatment because they just uh, give up and they are passive in terms of, uh, they have some opportunities at hand, but they still are not like willing to 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 make the effort to take these opportunities but it's much more complex than that the, these families most of them 
felt that they were doing uh, the best for their child, they wanted the best for their child. And then also the other uh, important issue that came in the conversations was uh, how they felt un very uncertain and very doubtful about the rightness of the treatment and um, the the possibility that really this thing that they perceive so painful would end up having a good result for the for the children for the child so you mean in terms that, of treatment and the side effects of treatment exactly the fact that the treatment was painful let's say in their perception i would say maybe two or three main things that are come uh, very often in the interviews one is that the procedures can be painful and some and also scary like mainly the lumbar function and uh, intrathecal are things that are scare a lot uh, the parents it's surrounded by a lot of myths also and the team works a lot educating and informing the page the parents about this but still this uh, this is a feeling that is very difficult to to fight against the feeling of uh, fear about the procedures uh, the other thing is the side effects mainly when the children have uh, uh, lose uh, the appetite they uh, are not eating enough and this really makes mothers very worried and and the other thing was that in general there was always certain uh, a, a level of uncertainty about uh, the long term results of the treatment so these factors together with the fact also that a treatment that is so painful and it brings uh, makes a child look and feel so bad doesn't seem like uh, in their perspective doesn't seem like something good so because they have their own experience they have their own knowledge they have their, their own uh, stories they have seen other people with cancer maybe they have seen other stories they have heard other stories so they are going to be testing what they are seeing at the hospital and what they believe about uh, their own notions of health and medicine and 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 illness so this is something that is totally normal and natural and we can't expect that they just follow the treatment and go through this without feeling anything and without thinking anything and with in trusting blindly what the what the doctors say at the hospital and ignoring their previous experiences. So this was also something that uh, was interesting to see how these parents were not passive at all. They were analyzing what was happening in their own way. Uh, for us, we can't say that uh, abandonment is a ration, is a decision made by weighing pros and cons about the treatment in a conscious way, not necessarily, most of the times it's not in this way, it's mostly something that just comes together after uh, accumulation of experiences and thoughts and feelings that the families go through. So this was also something interesting that I uh, saw, and the parents definitely, when they abandoned treatment, they were sure that they were doing something better for their child. This uh, this was uh, also a very interesting discovery. They have a perspective very different 
from what we have in the medical team, you'd say. That, that is a very different perspective, especially what you just said about it not being necessarily a decision where the patients weighed the pros and cons and decided that they were going to abandon care because they didn't care about cure. But it was a, a avenue of action that they were kind of forced into by all of these forces that you uh, you mentioned. Exactly. And, and always thinking that they want the best for the child. So if the fact that the child is not eating properly because of the treatment and once the child is starting to recover and starting to eat better, comes the next round of chemotherapy and then the child is again not eating and losing weight. This is something that for the parents, even if it's something temporary, for the parents, they 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 see this now, they see this today, and they are we are asking them to trust us and put their child in our hands and trust blindly and wait. So this means that we are asking them to be passive and we are blaming and sometimes we have blamed them for being passive by not following the treatment. So this contradiction is something that I saw in the conversations and why they are not going to trust the neighbor that lo loves their child or the grandmother that loves their child more than, more, more than the medical team may do with the, with the advice that they may uh, give them by saying, try this other medicine, try this other option, or the child is, is looking worse and worse every time you go to the hospital. You should maybe do something different. Why they are not going to trust this other advice if this comes from someone who loves their child? So this is uh, the parents who are put in a very, very complicated position. And we have to to consider that. Uh, I, I, I used to ask myself when I was working with the parents, why this person is going to trust me? They don't know me. They just met me here. By accident, in the more in the most horrible circumstances, they 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 don't want to be here. They shouldn't be here, and they uh, now I'm asking them to trust and not to listen. The grandmother who is begging them not to bring back this child to the hospital because the hospital is going to to kill the child. This treatment is going to kill the child. This is, of course, a perspective that sounds offensive for us, but. Uh, if you stand in that other place, in that other position, makes a lot of sense. It does make a lot of sense. And mm -hmm. I think this is a perspective that we don't always, we being speaking from the provider's point of view, in the course of a busy workday, when you're trying to get things done, when a patient doesn't show up to their visit, then you say, oh my goodness, where is this patient? I have to move on. And you don't have time to empathize or you don't have time to try to step into their shoes. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah. and see these forces that you're not experiencing. Yes, exactly. So that's why I thought uh, this is a this is a, a contradiction that we face every day in our countries. How the amount of work that the clinicians have to face every day, nurses and doctors and psychologists and social workers. This endless amount of patients every day and this little time for to dedicate to each one of them 
But this is how I, I, I realized that improving the quality of care and the quality of time that you give to the patients, it's essential because the, 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 you need to build some trust. You are happy to have a free treatment for them, but you haven't solved everything. You have solved a lot with that. That definitely is necessary. It's important. But if you have to have, you want to have all the, your children having the best chances for a cure and attending treatment, you have to give this extra, this extra effort of building very good quality of care through a relationship that is as personalized as possible. And there is, is there where psychosocial teams uh, are a key element that should be present in every cancer program in a developing country, because these, is the team, these are the people that can bridge communication and uh, between doctors and parents and patients, and also can uh, approach the parents in a closer relationship with empathy and with uh, less judgment and, and more open uh, mind, let's say. But of course, this also requires that the psychosocial team needs to train, uh, needs some training and needs, some, uh, uh, needs to be very well informed about the the the, the situation of the of the parents and the to, and the topic of, of abandonment because it's very easy and I we we also went through this in the in the in El Salvador how our own feelings about abandonment and our own feelings about feelings about specific uh, parents sometimes that are not really don't look like uh, they are collaborating in the right way uh, this brings feelings of the team also and it's fair it's uh, it's normal. But we have to learn to handle that to may be able to become a difference and make a change in the way the clinical encounter happens in, in the hospital. Yeah, what you, what you really say resonates with me that it's not about necessarily assigning blame for, for abandonment, either to the patients or to the medical providers. Because clearly, as you said, in your, uh, as you were listening to the patients, they want what's best for their child. But at the same time, you know, I've never talked to a physician that doesn't want what's best for their patient and really doesn't mm -hmm. wish that they had more time to sit and engage some of these more human elements because time is scarce yeah. and there's a lot to do in the day. So, yeah. you know, we're, I think we have to talk about this in terms of the, the situation that everybody finds themselves in. And then we have this adverse outcome as a result. And so then you brought in this element of needing a more collaborative team effort. And I think this is really where your work is, is very important, that it can't be just a physician and the patient. We need a lot more than that. And so you need a psychosocial support team to bring in some of these psychologically supportive elements that, say, a physician may not have time for. So tell mm -hmm. us about your experience there in, in trying to bring these psychosocial services to, to your center in El Salvador. Yeah, I think that one thing is that and El Salvador, essentially, uh, from the beginning, there was always available a psychologist and a social worker. And as the knowledge and the experience of the team grew, also, uh, there were an extra psychologist was added and an extra social worker, but also a couple of nurses, uh, the head of the, uh, of the daycare, 
uh, day clinic and also the educational nurse uh, became part of the team in terms of how uh, close and involved they were in the stories of the patients and trying to pay attention to those who were with, who seemed and were vulnerable to the possibility of abandonment. So in that sense, it was like growing the team was, was one thing. But the other thing was that the team was able to learn, to reflect, to keep reflecting over the years, let's say, on what they were learning of the stories of, of abandonment and, uh, and learned that trying to convince a parent, a mother, that they should stay in the treatment just because the doctors know and we know everything and we know better than them or because if they don't come to the treatment, the child is going to die. This discourse failed so many times that the, the team learned that's something very important. You need people that are willing to learn from their own experience and trying to be creative on the possibilities around. So um, this is something that happened in El Salvador. And the other thing is that they were able to bring extra resources from institutions in the communities of, of the patients. This was something that relieved economic pressure on the program because some of the communities, some of the, in, 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 in the community of the patient, for example, a clinic, uh, a health unit that is a governmental small primary care clinic uh, in every community in El Salvador, they would have uh, promoters uh, and and workers that visit homes in the village or in the town. And these were resources that sum up for the with the intention of communicating with the with a patient that maybe was uh, absent from treatment or was having difficulties that we knew were complicated uh, economic uh, situations, for example. So in these cases, in, not, uh, in, in some cases of this or in many, these clinics became extra help in the community that will bring or facilitate the possibility to, to, for the patients to come back to the hospital or to keep coming to the hospital, let's say. Were these in, were these uh, community workers primarily <clears throat> focused just on pediatric cancer, or were they general health workers? No, they are general health workers with very basic training that they mainly do primary care activities like um, checking vaccination charts and uh, visiting for if there's uh, some actions that the health unit is, is performing for preventing dengue, for example, and checking that the houses are not accumulating uh, water and uh, producing mosquitoes and some type of health-related uh, things. But these communities, these uh, workers in the health units tend usually have uh, a very well-structured knowledge of the families, of the, of the inhabitants of the village, and information about the family, the family uh, composition, and some basic things. So these are people that actually have a lot of knowledge of the local circumstances and condition of the family. And uh, we can, by talking with them and asking them to pay attention to this family for some specific reason, 
uh, this became a way, uh, another, uh, let's say, an extra way of the health team in the hospital to be present also in the community. So without training, I mean, we will give to these uh, health workers basic information if it was necessary in terms of the situation of the of the child, but not, uh, mainly uh, our our the important thing here was the relational possibility that the, the link that this person will become so in more in some cases obviously this doesn't work in the same way for everybody but it's an extra resource that comes for the uh, psychosocial team and it becomes something that that adds uh, what i will say this makes that uh, that specific family that is involved in a relationship with this local health worker and knows that this local health worker is also in a relationship with the psychologist or the social worker at the, at the hospital, this makes this family to feel present, to feel different, to feel unique. It's not one more family out of the 200 or 500 that you are seeing in the hospital. They are not unperceived. They notice that they are being noticed. And this is something that can have a lot of value in a country, in countries, in developing countries where the presence of the governmental services, for example, can be weak, can be very unstable, not reliable, and you are used to really not count on anyone or anything. So this becomes something that gives the message that this child, my child, is important for these people. They are asking for him and they are taking care of him, even in the distance. This is something that I understood that was happening in the process of developing a relationship with the local communities. As I said, it's not the rule for every, for every community, for every patient. But in some cases, it, it works very well. And I would say that it, in general, it doesn't go wrong. Uh, sometimes it's more complicated, the, the, the communication or not. Everybody, not all this, the health workers in the community are going to be very committed with this task necessarily. But in general, the responses are, have been very good. Wow. So just to review what you have done at the center. So you initially, there were just a, a few healthcare workers there. Who was there initially before you increased services? In, in in psychology, you mean? Well, yes, I guess before, because is this a specific project that you guys did to kind of make the oh. psychosocial services more robust? Yes. Actually, one of the things that happened is that the, so previously, the, the, the psychosocial services inside of the hospital, and they are still that, uh, there's a lot of uh, information and education going on in the hospital. The psychologist and the social worker in many cases are present at the moment of the diagnosis communication by the doctor and with the parents, and they follow up what are the circumstances of these families and the reaction uh, to the, towards the information that they have been given by the doctors. And then also... There's a lot of activities regarding education information, giving uh, booklets and uh, trying to be sure that this family, that, that each family is understanding uh, what we uh, want them to know about uh, about the uh, treatment. 
So this is still something that is performing, it's, it's, it's happening, it's part of the daily practice there. Um, and then I would say that most of the, the, the approach towards the local communities, the, the institutions in the communities, started more like as a way of reaching patients that were lost and we couldn't find by phone, let's say, and also helping them with material resources when uh, knowing that the, the possibilities at the hospital were very limited to give help to everybody that, that was needed, that needed it. So this was something that happened. And with the work that I was doing, analyzing the experiences of the, of the, of the patients, but also the experience of the health team that has been, uh, uh, that, that evolved over the years in, uh, and grew in, in, in knowledge uh, and in intervention in, in the in the application of different interventions, analyzing this, I could see how this became much more than only practical help for making these children coming back to the hospital, and it became a way of a relationship, another extens- extension of a possibility for a relationship between the health team and the hospital and the parents at, the, at, at home. And uh, this happened also with a more accurate way of identifying patients that were in need, uh, either because they were losing, uh, missing some appointments at the hospital or because they were ex- explicitly uh, asking for help and saying, uh, I I don't think I'm able to keep coming because my situation is this or that. So there were several ways in which the the team were more aware and also more efficient in the way of uh, reaching the patients and having a better relationship with them. That's great. So over what time frame did this increase in services take place? Let me see. I would say that it was probably in 2011 when the main changes started started to happen when there was a possibility for keeping a better track better track of the patients that were missing appointments and this was mm, thanks to a mm, very well developed system of uh, with an electronic database in the hospital that allowed the team to to see uh, every patient that had missed an appointment the same the very same day that that uh, patient had been absent so and then this allowed the, the the team to communicate to call the patients the very same day also um so with this um, level of precision let's say this made uh, gave also the possibility of uh, seeing which patients were difficult to contact to find. And this brought the idea of the contracting local institutions. This all happened around 2011. And uh, with this, after a couple of years, we started to analyze and check the numbers of absent patients and what had happened with the help that we were giving. And that's when we saw that from one year to the next, instead of having 13% of abandonment or 12% of abandonment, that was more or less our steady 
rate of abandonment for years, it dropped to 3% immediately after this was, was started. And since then... The patient the tracking system, has, you mean? Yes, with the, yeah, exactly, with the patient tracking system. So I would say that this is a complementary strategy because you may have a system, if you have a system in which you can track every patient and you can know that the patient is not here today and you can call the patient and make and ask the patient what was the problem and know that, be sure that the patient will, is going to be there tomorrow or next week and it's not going to miss any other appointment. And then you are sure that this patient is not going to abandon. This is one thing. But what happens if you are able to detect everything in, in time and call and, 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 and have all the information, but the patient is in a situation in which really needs some help that you need to provide or you need to solve or is out of your hands maybe, but you can try or you can have resources. But what if you don't have the resources? And then this person needs, in most of the cases, is really economic uh, support or uh, some support with the transportation or something like that. So if the hospital didn't have the resources for this, then you have the information, you know that the patient is in this situation, you, 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 you know that the patient was absent today and is not going to be able to come. So then you're not solving at the end, you are not solving abandonment. Then that's how I say it's complementary when you involve this other institution, then this helps the resources that are scarce at the hospital. And uh, you are going to be able not only to reach the patients and to know what's their problem, but also to provide the help that they need. That's something that became the, um, the key also on the, on the, for the inclusion of the community resources. Wow. So it's, I mean, it seems like you guys have done a rather comprehensive overhaul of the care in general, just leaving abandonment aside, but the care in general provided to the patients because you had the the foundational economic support from the government in terms of paying for treatment. But then you also had this patient tracking system that came online, you said in, in 2011. And is I assume that takes personnel. So that also I either required or utilized the team in a certain way to make sure that patients were were coming to their appointments or if they missed their appointments then you'd find out why and then that also let you identify the needs and the reasons why the patients weren't coming and combining that with the perspective of we need to listen to the patients for the you know because they have reasons and perhaps we need to help them with their reasons for not coming combining that perspective really let you guys target what kind of support you gave and being able to utilize the uh, pre-existing public health infrastructure that with these community health workers, help community health workers seem to allow you to really reach out into the community and uh, speak to the patients where they were at. Is that a kind of fair sum of how this whole program has developed over the last few years? Yeah, I, I would say it's very much fair. It's excellent how you are summarizing this story. And I, I would add only that it's true, something that I haven't mentioned here, is the effort that this involved for the team at the hospital, because it requires a lot of coordination. Yeah, no kidding. It, it, it's, it's incredible. It's a lot of effort and a lot of coordination. And of course, 
the coordination requires the willingness of the team members to um, collaborate and participate because even if it's only the psychologist and the nurse and the social worker that the ones that are like tracking every movement of the database and the patients every day let's say but the patients have to perform to have to go through different steps in the hospital like uh, for for getting the appointment for getting the uh, for going to the to the clinic uh, for having uh, an extra appointment for something other for some other uh, reason that was not programmed or and also for going to pick up the medicine or or to the pharmacy or to the treatment area and there's a lot of uh, steps and a lot of people involved here the doctor the 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 secretary the nurse at the at the counter the other nurse that is providing the treatment the the um, the person that is preparing the chemotherapy and have to check everything that the, the that the child so it's a lot of mini steps that that become a lot of information that is put in that database and that results at the end in knowing what exactly and where exactly is that child that day so all this coordination uh some in some aspects can be something automatic but for some so for some specific situations uh, it's not necessarily automatic, and the the fact that the um, other staff members knew that this information, be that putting this information, feeding this information in the database was important for the result of having accurate uh, information about the child, and some missing data will uh, end up in not detecting a child that was absent. For example, that happens sometimes. So this is something that requires a lot of coordination and, and, and uh, the, the, the other staff members need to know or are, are aware that this, uh, this information is important. Uh, well, and so let, me ask, say, yeah, yes? let me ask you, because it, it <clears throat> sounds like an enormous amount of coordination. And uh, I think as a lot of people have experienced, uh, the coordination doesn't just spontaneously happen. It has to be um, initiated and maintained over time. And so how did you establish this type of coordination? Like, is it, was it uh, the whole team coming together and just individual people being motivated to do this? Was there a grant involved or a, a formal project going on to kind of keep it together? No, actually, uh, and here I, well, before I, I'm, I'm, I'll try to answer, uh, one thing is that this happened not with the intention of preventing abandonment of treatment. This whole database, was built for multiple reasons more related with optimizing the uh, work, the clinical work and the administrative uh, administrative work uh, of the at, the at a daily basis in the clinic and the hospital. So this database was developed more for those reasons, and in this process. Were, was where uh, the psychologist, my colleague, uh, Carmen Salavarria, of whom I'm going to talk in a moment, um, uh, detected that in the process of feeding this database, we were able then to um, have daily uh, information in a daily basis of uh, everything that had what ha that had happened with the child, with the child, and 
definitely, if the child wasn't there, it was uh, easy to detect. The database and the whole system for the tracking of the patients, it started with a very simple Excel sheet that uh, uh, we developed in the Office of Psychology with the intention of following the patient. So in the very immature phase, it did start with the intention of writing the name of the patient, of of each patient that hadn't been present in the consultation today, for example, and then following what what happened. So if we call, it was signed in the the database. If we call the parents, if we got an answer, what what did they say? If they were coming back, if they finally are back, so every step it was it was inside of a data of an Excel database sheet, uh, spreadsheet. But when the system started to improve, then the detection was easier, and this required all this coordination uh, that I was saying. So the coordination required. It was for different reasons for each of the staff members. Not everybody was trying to do this only for the sake of uh, preventing abandonment, but it became a resource that at the end was preventing abandonment. So uh, this, and now I'm going to to mention again Carmen Salaveria, my colleague, this is something that she can explain you much better because she is the one that is uh, behind all this brain of the of the tracking system because I started to do my, I was more involved in the research, uh, in the qualitative uh, type of research of the whole history, let's say, of abandonment of treatment in in El Salvador. Uh, And in the clinic and daily basis, it's uh, Carmen who stayed there uh, until now. Gotcha. So it was an administrative QI project that became a, a, a abandonment, a clinical intervention, I guess is a fair way to yes. say it, which is, that's nice. Yes. That's an incredible <laughs> form of uh, of synergy there. It's very creative. I would say it's very creative. Something that I, I'm convinced that you uh, in uh, developing countries uh, can be very creative uh, in terms of finding solutions for things that... Uh, you you don't have the resources enough, but then you have to 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 find a way. Yeah, no kidding. The it sounds like the last decade was a pretty busy one in El Salvador for pediatric cancer care and improving the quality of care for these patients. You've done a lot there to both explore the patient perspectives as well as to implement some concrete steps to improve care uh, in terms of quality. So if you had to leave us with a few lessons that you learned through this process for other people who are um, in lower middle income countries who are thinking about how to improve the care or how to address patient needs there in terms of abandonment, what lessons would you leave us? Let me start by saying that definitely, even when it, you may think that uh, the way you're seeing a situation is uh, very clear and very even common sense and, and 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 common knowledge for everybody else but there's always there, there's always going to be another perspective and the parents they may be there at the hospital trying the best for the child and they may be wanting you to cure their child and to do your best 
but not necessarily are going to consider that what you are doing and in the way the way they are seeing the treatment is precisely what they consider the best. So there's always a perspective that may be surprising and probably something that you're not going to agree or share with the parents, but there's always a reason for which they are having that perspective. It's not pure, it's not mere uh, uh, that they don't know, that they don't have the knowledge or they are not educated enough or they are yeah, not knowledgeable. It's uh, they are, they know a lot and they know their child and they know that they want the child to be cured so this is one thing they will think different from you despite they want the same that you want the child to be cured <clears throat> this is one thing and the other thing is that precisely because of that one thing that the parents need to feel from the medical team the multidisciplinary team is that they need to feel respected. They need to feel that their view, no matter how different, is listened. At least they need to be. They need to feel listened, and they need to feel unique. They need to feel that they are important. Many of the cases of, uh, in, in particularly in, in in rich countries, that are many patients are turning to alternative uh, treatments uh, and rejecting biomedicine, it's because in many cases the alternative treatments give them the feeling that the therapist is listening to them in a unique way. People need to be listened, they, they want to be listened and they, they want to be understood. So this is a feeling that is, is difficult to develop, this is something that you have to really train and partly you Partly as a as a as a clinician, you may have empathy and you may have some personal skills and qualities that are, make you a good doctor. But also, you need extra training to keep uh, developing this and to keep uh, practicing this every day. No matter how exhausted you are, you need to to give the best the the the, the feeling. Uh, you need to transmit to the parents the feeling that. Uh, you are giving them your best time and your best uh, uh, attitude and your best options for their child. So this is something that is the basics of the trust building and then communication, teamwork and communication with the psychosocial team and and developing a relationship with parents is something that will uh, improve a lot your chances to uh, continue treatment uh, in a in, in the most positive way possible with the with the families. Very good. That's a, certainly a message that providers need to hear over and over again. So I yes. appreciate how you can articulate that and really how you've spent a lot of time listening to patients and trying to understand their perspective and bring it to the wider medical community. It's a very important component when we talk about abandonment. So thank you for your work. Well, so you have a lot of experience in this area and if people were wanting to get in touch with you to uh, talk further. Is there a way that people can find you? Well, one thing uh, I can uh, give my email address, and also I can say that 
uh, people that, that know about the working groups of the pediatric oncology in developing countries group of the SIO, uh, they may find their the um, working group uh, on abandonment of treatment. Uh, and there they can find not only information about abandonment, but they also can have, they, they can find a whole community that is interested in this, uh, in this topic. And there, there in that group, they may find the email addresses. But I'm going to give you my email address too, that it, they can contact me. It's uh, n-r-o-s-s-e-l-l dot gmail.com. Uh, at gmail.com at exactly gmail.com okay great yeah and we will put up instructions about how to find and join if you're interested join the uh, PODC the PSYOP PODC yeah. treatment abandonment working group I'll have that up on the website ghccpod.com so if anybody wants to go engage that group which I highly recommend as a member myself then please go mm -hmm. check it out and thank you for your time, Naria. This has been a great conversation. I feel like I could talk to you for hours about all this kind of stuff. So we'll probably have to we'll have to have you back on soon because there's a variety of ways we can still or a variety of avenues that still need to be explored here. That's true. There's a variety of avenues all the time. And thank you very much for having me, Mark. It's been a very, very nice uh, conversation and we're very happy to participate. Yeah. yeah. Well, we we appreciate you and your work, so uh, keep it up, and we'll I'm sure we'll be hearing from you again. Thank you. We'll stay in touch. Thank you All very right. much. Thank you. Bye. If you want to find out more about treatment abandonment, about its causes and how to address it, you can find me at info, I-N-F-O, at ghccpodpod.com. And if you're a healthcare worker and want to get involved in addressing the root causes of abandonment, then check out the PSYOP PODC Treatment Abandonment Working Group. So you have to go to www.cure4, the number 4, kids, K-I-D-S, dot com, and you have to make a free username and password, and then go to the groups tab and search for the treatment abandonment group. You have to be approved to join the group, but then afterwards you can see all the resources that we've gathered and the different projects going on within the group. So feel free to check it out. While you're at the Cure for Kids website, if you want to learn more about abandonment, there's actually a curriculum. So if you go to the education tab, go down to curriculum, then you can find the treatment abandonment curriculum that was put together a few years ago. And if you want to find out more about what's going on in global pediatric oncology in general, then head over to cancerpointpointe.com and check out all the resources that we have available. We have training programs for physicians in low and middle income countries. We have experts who are available to be consulted about difficult cases, about research, about making abstracts and assistance with writing. We have the adapted treatment regimens from the PSYOP PODC Adapted Treatment Working Group. And we have various lectures about supportive care from the nursing and supportive care working groups. And we also publish interesting things going on in the world of global pediatric oncology. So if you want to find out what's going on, come visit us. All right. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.